this is Behind the Exploratory Lenses, episode number 6. Yes, we're going to continue right to it with Risky Nixon, and this is the second part where we discuss plenty of things ranging from media darlings, bus, being an introvert, and where in the world he got the name Nixon from. If you haven't listened to the first part, I recommend you to do so because we discuss about a lot of things, especially how broken and corrupt YouTube is. But first things first, given the circumstances that is happening in NASCAR right now, I feel like I'm not in the need to talk about it. I really do not want to talk about it in this episode right now. This is solely focusing on the second part of Nixon's. But in context, I don't know what to think of it. I'm at a loss for words. There's so much stuff going on that it's going to take a long episode and more well thought into it. So I'm not going to be shooting the breeze on this one right now. But first, given that Independence Day is next Saturday... I have an idea of what the next episode is going to be about, and I'm going to tell you that right now. It's going to be focusing on an old, familiar place, because 10 years ago was my first visit, 5 years ago was my last visit, when it comes down to it. So the next two episodes, depending on how things work out, that's probably going to be the main subject matter. Find out next Thursday and the Thursday after to know what I'm going to talk about. It's a very intriguing subject that I think you're all going to enjoy. Alright, with that being said, we discussed about media darlings, female drivers, are they competent or not, especially two of them that are in the focal point right now, which are Natalie Decker and Haley Deegan. One has potential, the other one just doesn't. And also, we briefly discussed about Denny Hamlin, about elusive titles. And I will mention, and I did say this in the interview, that the Toyotas are going to struggle. Hamlin won again, and Holmes said, as you already know, so Hamlin is probably the only one that has a shot uh, maybe being the premier title contender, whereas Kyle Busch has just struggled. Martrex Jr. did win, though, but it's, it's hard to say where those two are compared to Hamlin at this moment in time. And with that said, let's go jump to the interview with Nixon. And I mentioned this, it's like, and, and that's the thing that pissed me off at day, back at Daytona. It's just like when he, he asked something about, Bruce asked something about Timmy Hill, about why is he smiling, I was like... If I were Timmy Hill, if I were Carl Long, I'd be smiling through the grid. And my team's like, are you a tad bit tone deaf? Do you realize, had Timmy Hill not made that 500 or wrecked the thing, Carl Long's business would probably would have gone under. Because I remember hearing about that stuff. And I'm not sure if Sebastian can validate that they were in deep trouble by that point if they didn't make it. Because they had to go with the Ford engine instead of the Toyota. Yeah, that's the thing. Every single person at this point is struggling in some capacity. And the human interest stories are now just being cherry-picked at this point. Bubba, obviously, is now the beacon of everything in the media, so we're probably going to be hearing about Bubba probably for the next three, four months, and he'll be the only person that gets any media attention. Timmy Hill got lucky because of the iRacing stuff happening. So that got him some notoriety, which was nice. But every media member is going to end up just cherry-picking people yeah. to cover. There's no doubt about it. Like at Daytona, Timmy still didn't got much love. As a matter of fact, nobody recorded it. I forget why it didn't record the audio of the press impromptu press conference during the rain delay before they called the race, and I had to pack home upset about it. He was having some bojangles and talking about the race because it's like, oh, Timmy has decided to show up in the media center for a bit to talk about how his race has gone because he was doing pretty good up until the delay. He finished in the top three in Xfinity race, and yet TB don't bat an eye on him. I don't think he even got TB time by making the duels. And that's yeah. Another, yeah, and that's another problem that I have. It's like, even if it's one minute, you just at least show the story of the night or the story of the day, whatever, what have you. They're doing that with Bubba which is good on them because obviously he's the biggest story right now and more than likely he's going to end up being most popular driver by season's end. Uh, let's face it, it's going to happen. That's my bold prediction. Yeah, the only issue that I have with that is they had already tried to foist him into the spotlight beforehand and it went horribly wrong because as, as we all know, Richard Petty Motorsports not that great. As talented as Bubba is, he's going to be mid-pack as long as he drives that 43 car. So he's already been getting dunked on by everyone because he's not, you know, living up to the hype already. And now this has happened, which has divided the entire fan base. So now it's gotten to the point where it's like, 
are they going to just run him into the ground by giving him so much exposure? That's going to be an interesting time period. Fortunately for him, he's doing fine. The question is, can he continue to deliver the results? He's doing a lot better than he was last year. Anybody with RCR, even Austin Dillon has done fine with RCR this year. They're doing better, but still a ways to go from even being considered premier playoff contenders, like with the exception of Redick. But we'll see how he does in, in the summer stretch because that's the pivotal time period with some people already calling it the summertime sadness considering you have a string of races that fans just don't like. Kentucky, yeah. Pocono, Michigan, Loudoun, all people complain about those circuits and they're all in succession it seems. Yeah, and the thing is you can't be interviewing the person that finished 11th or finished 17th or finished 22nd for those races as well. You can't be keeping tabs on Bubba when these races are already boring as it is. I don't think that's going to be the way to go about it. Because I think back to when Danica was in the sport, they kept checking in on her when she was in 20th a lap down. And it's like, my God, who cares? And it got infuriating at times. And I feel like even people that support Bubba will get exhausted and fatigued if they keep covering what he's doing. Yeah, and fatigue is what you don't want. That's the biggest problem with professional wrestling. With the WWE, with Roman Reigns, John Cena, that's why they're in the ground. They're nowhere near doing the numbers like they used to, much like NASCAR's numbers are not the same as they once and once back in the day. There's this thing called fatigue, oversaturation, and vice versa. You gotta be careful on how to cover six, and you just gotta find those stories. And sometimes it's very difficult finding those stories. With COVID right now, you've got to essentially rely on the top three finishers as their main story. Maybe something from the top ten. Anybody outside a bit, like, understandably, the drivers may not talk about it. But also, if they don't finish in the top ten, then might as well focus on another piece. Because I'd imagine you were able to do that back in the day. You could cover somebody who dominated and then just fall back way too hard. Because you had to think as a weekly and monthly magazines and papers for it. Now... You have to rely on top runners to keep it going because that's really all there is out there right now. Yeah, yeah, there's not the extensive post-race anymore. We're not going to interview, you know, Rich Bickle that came in 13th anymore. We're only going to go with who is the driver of the day at this point, which is unfortunate because, you know, watch any old broadcast and they'll be talking about, well, I talked to Rick Mass this week about such and such. And then they talk about Rick Mass for three laps because nothing else was going on. You know, Jeff Gordon had a 13-second lead, so there wasn't anything else to talk about. But it was interesting. Unfortunately, it's, hey, here are the top three, and this is the storyline that we're trying to push. Oh, my God, Chase Elliott is two car lengths away from Kyle. He's probably going to wreck him. Got to talk about that for 45 minutes. Or so it, it's just narratives. Or Brad and Kyle Bush, they don't like each other every time. <laughs> yeah, and it's the same tired narrative. There's nothing fresh. That's what really is upsetting to me about, well, just what YouTubers are talking about, what the media is talking about. There's nothing fresh. There's no fresh angles, no fresh opinions. Nobody cares about anyone that's not in the top ten unless they have a novelty factor like Bubba does or... Natalie or Deegan, and it's it's infuriating, honestly. <laughs> Natalie, good old sweet Nat. <sighs> it's too she... bad I didn't record the Charlotte race this year because I forget who who it was. Somebody on Twitter heard and it's like, and I, I think heard it was like some weird stuff. And I say to myself, it's like, you must be new here. I don't put those audios. I distributed it to you because I know you have the much bigger platform. <laughs> but boy. I've heard driver audios. You have your Bush brothers. You have Boyer. You have Bubba. You have Todd Gillen. But boy, going through a Natalie race is comedy. It's comedy. And also embarrassing because it's like, how long have you been racing exactly? You're driving for a competent truck team? You just... Oh my goodness. For don't Explain the context because I'm... Every time when I think about it, I'm just baffled. Oh, like, it doesn't phase me in the slightest. I used to listen to Danica's audio all the time. Natalie and Danica both just, they don't know how to ever describe what's wrong with the car. I don't know why, but none of them, neither one of them could ever figure out how to explain what's wrong with the car. 
and Natalie gets really uh, hyped up about something and then gets distracted by that one thing. Danica did the exact same thing. Danica would f spend 50 laps mother-effing Austin Dillon or Trevor Bain because they drove her high in the corner one time. So instead of actually saying, hey, the car is wickedly loose, she would just complain about someone. Natalie does the same thing. She gets hyper-focused on one thing and then fails to actually convey the proper information. And what Louise, I think, was talking about was Natalie knocked the toe out of the car, and she didn't actually know how to determine if the toe was knocked out or not with the steering wheel. Because what usually happens is with the steering wheel, they put tape in the middle, so that's where the steering wheel should be at all times. The wheels are pointed in the correct direction, so if the tape is over off to one side or the other, clearly knock the toe out. She couldn't figure that out and couldn't convey it properly, and the crew was about to the point of shooting themselves in the head. And let's not forget Kevin Hamlin's final straw, where she just did not listen to what? I oh, yeah. Was, was it? I know it was Kevin Hamlin and who? I can't remember the crew chief's guy's name. It's not Frank Kimmel. Whoever it was did not listen, and then she got wrecked by the tow truck. Well, and I get a part that got cut out, too, was she couldn't figure out how to get the car back in gear again. Dude, it's like, they're making things worse, Natalie. It's, I know she's I know she's there, she's got the sponsorship, she's got the looks and whatnot, but, boy, is there going to be a female racer that actually is competent? I think Deegan is competent. She's just over-aggressive, and that will always be the Achilles heel. She'll overdrive. She'll piss people off that she doesn't need to be pissing off. And, oh, yeah. And she's just going to struggle as a result. I think she understands the components under the car. I mean, she was raised by Brian Deegan. I mean, he was mechanicking constantly on his stuff. So I'm sure that she's knowledgeable of what's under the hood, knows how to make the proper adjustments. They did a ton of testing with her even before she started doing K&N. I think she'll be fine on that. It's just when you're over-aggressive, you're always going to be over-aggressive. Some people get away with it, like Chastain. Some don't. And also, she needs to have the one perfect race where everything oh. goes well. Because sometimes you've got to have put the whole package. Deacon, the Colorado win, albeit she took out Derek Cross, her teammate, that was probably her best race she's had to date. Yeah, she was leading when that late caution came out, and everyone likes to just discredit that win because she ended up picking the wrong line on the restart, got passed, and then she had to rough up her teammate to get the lead back. Yeah, and that's the thing. Watching the entire canon season last year, when I keep track of her, because obviously she's going to rise up on the ladder, she would struggle, she'll be right there, but I'm looking for that one race where everything goes well, she doesn't have to use the bumper, she's yet to have that. Because right now, it's going to be Michael Self and Deegan and, that's pro and Drew Dollar. That's it. That's all you got for the ARCA championship battle. Yeah, it's it's pretty pathetic, and it, it's... I don't know. We don't have proper development uh, series anymore, uh, which is unfortunate. It just... it. I guess nobody cares enough to continue developing people it's just going to be who has the money or who is that lightning rod of talent like the Joey Logano or the Kyle Larson that can just skip a bunch of series and jump all the way up to cup. The East is probably the only ones that I can see still being healthy. But even with that, the East season is already tainted because Derek Griffith, who was lightning quick, super impressive in New Smyrna, due to the pandemic, can't run the whole season anymore. He's now part-time East, part-time Big Arca. So for a guy like him, if he's going to really shine and get some sponsorships, because obviously you could be as raw talented-wise, you need the money. You need to really impress, bring some eyeballs. And that's going to be key for a guy like Derek to eventually move up, because I think out of the times I cover racing, I've never been impressed by one driver than Derek was in New Smyrna. I think what he did was super impressive, but I left that night in Florida learning a bit of a thing or two about him. Is that the thing about when people hear about this guy from the Modifies, or this guy from the East, or wherever, Lame Models, or Dirt Devil, that people say, like, who? And I know Gabe and Sebastian get irritated when people ask those. It's like, 
I get it. They know the inside outs a lot more. They follow all the races and all around and know who they are because they obviously work for NASCAR teams. Whereas myself, I'm trying to pick as much information and find it as best as possible to know who it is. I used to be one of those back in the day, but now that I've been doing this for a while now, I say to myself, okay, let me figure out who this guy is, like a Tate Fogelman, and see. Okay, simple research, and then you don't have to ask yourself who it is, who's this guy, and whatnot. Yeah, and the modified drivers have a bad habit of just randomly showing up to races and doing really poorly. Like, I think back to Ryan Priest. Everyone remembers Ryan Priest as the Gibbs driver that won a bunch of stuff, and it's like, no, I remember him in that 98 car in Cup jumping over the curbs at Martinsville. Like, he had no business being in a Cup car at that point, but he got foisted into that ride for whatever reason, you know? I'd imagine Elliot Saller still having nightmares about Ryan Priest on this day. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. he's. I'm sure he's still salty about that. I say to myself, like, Ryan is competing for an owner's championship. Because here's the thing about the Xfinity Series and trucks more on the Xfinity. There's the driver's championship for There's the owner's championship for Priest was going for the owner's championship because the 18 was in that championship for for Joe Gibbs. Because they put all those guys like a Kyle Busch and Denny Hamlin. They win all those races so they move up. Sadler's going for the driver's. So you have two championships clashing one another. And Elliot got so mad about it thinking he has no business. Like, Elliot... Ryan does have a purpose, and that's to win an owner's championship for Joe Gibbs. So, why so salty about it? Yeah. I get it. It was his last shot of ever getting a shot at the championship. But, uh, come on, man. Got There's two championships on the line. Just misplaced anger. He just needed someone to blame. Boy, how many championships he threw away. Because back in the early 20-teens, one bad race, you're out of the championship, period. If Ellie Sadler and Brian Bickers didn't have those bad races right out of the gate, they would have been up there, honestly. But no, they had those bad races that were so detrimental, they were non-factors for the rest of the season. And there will always be guys like that. Denny Hamlin, super talented. People try to discredit him all the time, but I don't see him ever putting it all together at the end of the day. There's just something that is just, he's not able to do it. I don't know what it is. Kyle has the same problem. Kyle does have two championships, and he should have way more, but he finds a way to screw it up always. And it's like there are just people out there that can never just put the pieces together, like you were saying with the Deegan thing. Some people just can't put all the pieces together. Fortunately for Kyle, he's got those two championships. Danny, who knows? But with the way how Toyotas are doing right now, it's not looking prominent that he has a shot in 2020. But we'll see. The season changes way too much to begin with, so can't really say who's a favorite right now. We could say the Penske boys, but look at the second half of last year. Penske's were non-existent. They only won once. Yeah, and the stage cutoff races this year have been altered to cause as much carnage as humanly possible. So we may see a lot of the people that, like I said at the be early on, I said three Gibbs guys and Chase. That may not be the case as someone wrecks out at Bristol or Talladega or Martinsville. So when people predict it's like it's all in fun, I get it, but I don't chime into those because one, not show too much bias. Two, it's a crapshoot. Period. Yeah. This point system does not reward anyone. You can claim that it rewards consistency. You can claim that it it's all about winning, and it doesn't reward anyone. At the end of the day, it's luck of the draw, and you try your best to get out of the danger zone. That's all it is. You luck into a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Haley Deegan did okay at Talladega, albeit in the ARCA race, albeit there was only 21 cars, which tells you the state of ARCA right now is not looking good. She was non-factor at all in the race. We'll see how she does at Pocono. This is her second trip to Pocono because she drove last year at that two and a half mile triangular circuit. Right now, Drew Dollar is looking like the guy to be albeit it was Talladega is a crapshoot but there wasn't much of a crapshoot it was just if you have the fast car and stay in the lead draft you're gonna be fine and that's what happened down there hell of a save by Michael Self though 
I still feel like he's going to be the championship favorite, but we'll see how Drew Dollar does at Pocono along with Deegan. With that being said, let's talk about the number one song in the country, which I refuse to listen. It's the worst song to have ever hit number one in a long time, and I mean it by that when it comes to zero out of five. It gets a zero out of five. It's that Tecmo Kawasaki Key 69, whatever the his name is. He's a disgrace to the Latin community. He's a disgrace to hip-hop, and I don't care about the memes. It's funny how he has a song featuring Nicki Minaj called Trolls because I feel like Billboard is trolling me and I'm waiting for the day that Bobby Shmurda gets out of jail, gets a new record and breaks all the Instagram records and gets a Billboard Hot 100 number one single because boy, we do need Bobby Shmurda real bad right now because at least Bobby Shmurda has some credibility. I don't agree or condone what he does or what he did, but at the very least his music, Hot Boy, was good. I don't know about Bobby I think it's whatever, but Hot Boy, classic. And you see the Tecmo, whatever that dude's name is, the fruitcake, garbage. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Let's go back to the interview with Frisky Nixon, where we're going to discuss about Tabo Dine and Stuart Haas Racing. Let's talk about briefly about Bus before we talk about just kind of like the passion of making videos and also some music talk because with every guest that I have, I feel like I'm intrigued to hear the music taste from others. But first, let's talk about bus for a second. What is your stance with Todd Bodine when it comes to the bus threshold? Let's see. In terms of being a bust, obviously he did amazing in the truck series. He even won with an underfunded truck team at Daytona. Todd clearly was one of those guys that benefited from dropping down to trucks. When it comes to his cup career... I would argue he didn't really get much of an opportunity to do a whole lot. He did pretty well in the 75 car when he first joined the Cup Series. Um, and I think he might have gotten somewhere with them. But ultimately, he qualified well, but he never usually finished well. So I'd say in Cup that maybe you could argue he was a bust, maybe. But I still don't think he had high enough equipment to really make a judgment on that. And then the Bush series, he always was competitive for wins, but really 2003, I think, was the only time that he legitimately was going for a win for that championship. But, of course, due to lack of funding, the team had to shut down. So I'm not entirely sure where we put him on the list because the truck series, he did really well. He showed some bursts of you know, talent in the Bush series, and then obviously the truck or the cup series, we can't make it a decision on that, I don't think. It's easy to describe him as a ping pong career. It's like he goes to Cup, poor. Qualifies well, but poor. Demoted mm -hmm. to the Bush Grand National. Does really good. They put him back to Cup. Fall flat on face again. And then goes back to the Bush. Delivers. One more crack out of Cup. Fall on his face again. Then he decided to go down to the truck series where he ultimately ended up being the rest of his career, essentially, as far as being competitive. It's a ping pong career for him. You wonder how well he could have done had certain things went his way if he had a competitive run on a consistent basis. I found it funny that when I bought the door of Tabo Nice 2001 Cup Corner, it's like, one, it's a Winston Cup door. It's on the bid. Fortunately, it was not a crazy amount, so I got it at a pretty good price. It's like, well, now I'm going to remember Tabo Nice Cup career and wonder myself, this guy's fast. Boy, he's just had no luck when it comes to race day. I think people are just too quick to call someone a bust anymore and don't look at the full context. Yet again, going back to research, people don't do enough research to really analyze how a person's career went. For me, I only view bust if those who were successful on the lower series that made it to Cup. You can have your... Those that did well in the regionals but fell flat on his face in the trucks or in Xfinity. But for me, the ultimate bus in my book, if I were to view it, I focus on those who made it to Cup, not on the trucks or Xfinity. So that disqualifies Dylan Kwasniewski, Todd Gilliland for now is disqualified until he makes it to Cup. Which, honestly, he's going to end up being in the bottom tier or taking over John Hunter Nemechek's right if Todd does well in trucks. We'll see about that. But Rob Moroso, definite bust. We can agree on that. Well, that was... that. Well, the thing that's interesting about Rob's career is the alcoholism. 
I think, factored greatly into that. And also, his dad, I don't think they had predicted how difficult it was going to be to transition into Cup and try to run a Cup team. So, yeah. We'll never know, just like with Adam Petty, we'll never know. Everybody can make these predictions, but we'll never quite know because they died. So we never got an opportunity to see what the future held. Yeah, and honestly, not going to lie, looking back, Adam Petty is definitely not a seven-time champion. It's funny, but let's be real. He's not a seven-time champion. Oh, Adam's career was horrifically bad. If you really go back and look at it, he crashed a lot. Sure, he had runs. He did finish in the top five a couple times. But if we just look at 2000, just the bush starts that he made, he still hadn't finished better than 12th when he died at Loudoun. So it's like he clearly was getting worse, and and he's already being asked to make cup starts. It's like, what the hell? How about we get him better in the Bush series before we jump him into cup? Even Cole Custer, he spent a couple years in Xfinity, but he's in the worst Stuart Haas car, and he's fell flat on his face so far. He's just been non-existent. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, I mean, Eric Almarola, I wouldn't necessarily say is lighting the world on fire. People have been saying that Clint needs to be fired. So, I mean, really, unless you're Kevin Harvick, you're not really thriving at that organization. The one thing that I heard Estef said that without Harvick and Ronnie Shoulders working together, would Stuart Haas be any good? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they degraded quite a bit, and I blame Danica, honestly, for that. That whole organization really was so focused on bringing money in and I don't think they were really that interested in getting the teams where they needed to be. And unfortunately, Kurt didn't bring money to the team, so Haas was going out of pocket to keep Kurt around. And then Kurt really, I don't know, Kurt didn't really impress me when he was there. And then Danica's tearing up stuff and running poorly. And then Tony had just the just the awful decay of his career as his performance just got worse and worse and worse. So, I mean, Harvick has been keeping that team afloat for way too long at this point. Yeah, he essentially is like Russell Wilson carrying a team. Or, hmm, I want to say a Denver Broncos reference, but I don't know that there's an example of one where one player carried. It's hard to say with the NFL, except for a few quarterbacks that ended up. But I pondered about it. It's like, as much as I hate to say he, he has a point, because look at the other give I mean, not Gibbs, Stuart Haas guys. They've been hit and miss, and they switch crew chiefs to make sure it work. But at the end of the day, they're just getting blown by those Penske boys. There's one thing I will discuss about NASCAR in this episode. It's definitely the race to Talladega, which was won by Ryan Blaney in sterling fashion. By just 7 one-thousandths of a second, he beat Ricky Stenhouse Jr., and Eric Amarola spun to finish third. It was a wild last lap, but fortunately, it was a clean, sane race. Everybody used their heads. I'll be in the last lap as anything goes, I understand. And also, few miles played a role in that. Finally, a point race I can say to myself that I enjoyed in a real long time instead of the couple years where it was like inexperienced and that I still feel the same as I do then. Maturity and just how people think about it. They did not use their heads. They haven't used their heads for the last several years. Fortunately, this race, they did, and I'm happy about it that we only have just that one big accident that we saw at the checker fly. That's all we had. And also, there was another one in the back of turn three, but at the very least, wrecks do not define a race. As long as it's really good, competitive, and drivers know how to save it, then I warrant it as a good race. So with that being said, let's go back to the year to be worth risking next year because we're now going to shift from racing to more lifestyle, to say the least. <laughs> I think as you know, every now and then I will discuss about the difficulty nature of being an introvert. Would you consider yourself a bit of an introvert or an extrovert in, in that regard? Oh my god, am I an introvert. I try not to leave the house ever if I don't have to. I don't do social interactions, really. I try to keep everything on text or online. I don't really have much to say in the way of real friends. Like, I quit trying to have real friends, really. It just, it was too taxing, and nobody ever had time to hang out, but always wanted to hang out. 
and then they would cancel, and it just it's just one of these things that I just like to hermit. I like to have the internet as my way to connect with people, and then I can do it on my own timetable. I don't have all these expectations and all this other stuff that I have to deal with. While every now and then I tried to blend into being an ambivert, which is a blend of intro and extrovert, but when I'm at a social setting, even when I'm at the track, I still have that introvert side of me, especially in Laguna after the IndyCar season was over. We went to an establishment where a new garden, Jack Harvey were around, and I said to myself, why am I such a damn introvert? I can't mingle well. I don't know. That's the thing. With large groups, large establishments, I can't properly mingle. And that's that's what irks me being an introvert. But then I say to myself, I'll just observe. I'll see what's going on. And just remember, like, oh, I remember that moment. Or that thing happened where a couple guys were chasing around in circles. Even at my best friend's wedding last August, I, I was at the absolute introvert. I tried to talk to certain people, make make, make peace with some of them, but they just didn't have the time of day. And I was like, I'm not going to be that <laughs> prick at the wedding that I was trying to instigate. And so I was like, I'll keep it to myself. I'll get through it. I'll live with the consequences and just get it over with. It is not easy. <laughs> I tell you what, when I'm in a large establishment, I try to find my place, and that is not easy. Even if I want to go outside, I still have to realize that, well, there are going to be some restrictions that's going to prevent me from doing stuff. So I hold back and just like, eh, what might have been, but might have been okay. Like networking, obviously in your profession, networking is kind of an important thing to have, but... I don't know, like we've, we talked about earlier with like people and their egos and making everything about themselves because they have this audience. I think it's almost better in a way to kind of keep to yourself and only talk to the important people, like the people that you need to be talking to and not trying to make everything about yourself because that's the problem. A lot of extroverts end up just making themselves look bad. I mean, they really do. They don't know when to shut up. They don't know when to stop making stuff about themselves. And then it makes them insufferable to everyone else around them. Yep, that's why, one of the main reasons why I wanted to graduate early from Idaho. I was done with with, with the group, with some, some editors, specific ones. Especially that one sports editor that I blocked on all social media outlets because I knew the agenda. And the fact that that went to Charlotte to be entered into the Bobcats. It's like, you collectively genuinely pissed me off all semester and you're going to leave anyways? Yeah. Shows your true colors who you are. That's why I don't speak about my college, college folks. That's why I didn't really get along with it. It's sickest part because I was an outcast to begin with and also the introvert side didn't help. But hey, I took my own horn. If they want to follow and want to listen, good. If they don't, then I'll know where I view them, how I'm going to value them in the long run, which will probably be slim to none. And, boy, I've had my share of people that I'm, like, thinking, give it a rest. Let other people talk, as Robin Miller said about Townsend Bell once. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's not easy. In that regard, I totally don't mind it. That's why I say, well, look, when I look back at my career on YouTube, I say... Well, I appreciate those that supported me, those who didn't bombard me and harass me about when's this video coming out? Can you do this? Can you do that? I just ignore it because if it has nothing to do with the video, I just flat out ignore it. it. Sounds prickish, but hey, I never claim to be a nice guy all the time. Yeah, I have Facebook as my outlet for getting my opinions out there and making my jokes and getting my, you know, my sliver of narcissism through Facebook, and that's it. I don't go beyond that. That's challenging for me as well, to try to talk to, like, the Glucks or the Parkers or even Dustin Long and Nate Ryan, just to name a few, because I don't know where I stand with them. Am I climbing? Or I still need a, about another year or two? It's, it's just the hesitance level that bothers me. It's probably why I focus on both the writing and photography at the same time. Now, one, to expand the craft. Two, learn more about the racing, get a better perspective. And three, I don't get myself super bored 
fumbling with my fingers and just wondering, what could I do in the meantime? I gotta keep myself busy. Yeah, some people have that killer instinct to, like, be constantly up someone else's butt. Some don't. I think as long as, like, you're not putting a wall between you and them, I think you're good. Honestly, as long as you're not trying to stop any social interactions because you're, like, getting anxious or whatever, you don't know what to talk about, it is important, like I said, to network. You still need to talk to them to some capacity. If they think that you're trying to social climb, I guess that's the opinion that they'll have. But as long as you keep kind of somewhat of a rapport, but you don't need to be up to butt like some people do. Now, since I'm entering a credential for both entities, NASCAR and IndyCar, I might as well give it a try when it warrants it and I don't interrupt their works. Because sometimes that's to say, if they're doing their work, gotta respect their space. If they're or I see they may not be busy and I got time to kill, then we'll discuss. If it warrants it, of course. Now, when you see certain shards, like the food, because I talked about it in the last episode at the very end, how in the world these polls are made where you have an In-N-Out burger as the most popular secret state of Washington where there are none, or Formula One is popular in Las Vegas. Do you ever wonder where in the world certain people get those polls and research? I think it's 100% BS. I think they're memes, honestly, because I don't believe for a second those are actual polls. And because I did psychology in college, I had to take a lot of classes that involve data collection and stuff like that. And you quickly figure out how irrelevant polls are, how irrelevant case studies are, really at the end of the day, because sample sizes can be manipulated. Sample sizes are usually super tiny. And it's also kind of like with the whole ratings thing, with the Nielsen ratings. We're only looking at a small percentage of the population that's participating. So you can just manipulate data however you want. And in the case of what you're talking about, I don't think that's actual data. I just don't. I doubt it. I just... Some people say don't show, stop giving them the limelight. Line, I just what I do it is like, yeah, get a look at this garbage. Get get some laughs out of it. It's like, really, In and Out popular in Washington? We don't even have one. Mod Pizza. I haven't tried it in a decade. I thought Dicks was the thing down there because that's what the burger chain is called, Dicks. So I figured maybe that's popular, but I guess not according to piss. Because that's the abbreviated form of whatever that thing is called. It's piss. And that's how it's just viewed. It's just nothing but pure piss. <laughs> I think a while back we talked about way back at that. Sometimes we want to do some key projects. But certain things just don't work out. Whether it's individual or group. I know ever since I graduated I haven't really done any video projects. The stuff that you do or in or want to give a go. Just discuss about... Just the passion of just making videos. I'm not entirely sure where the passion came from per se. I, I think it's I think it's a situation where I see stuff that is rare, or at least I think it's rare, or it's interesting, and I feel like sharing it with everyone else. So I make I, I cut up the footage in such a way that I can upload it as just an individual clip, or I can make it into a compilation. And because we've already talked about how there's so much common material that is being covered, and I just like weird crap that just comes up. Like, I posted footage of Jason Keller's team. They were using air guns that had, like, scuba tank attachments to them because they wanted to get rid of the air hose. And NASCAR didn't allow that after that one race. ESPN caught it on camera. NASCAR shut it down immediately. But something like that would have never made it, you know, onto Reddit, onto Twitter, if someone like myself hadn't come along, watched the race, went, wow, that's interesting, and then posted it. And I know that there's been multiple people that have told me about the incident, but I never actually bothered to look into it until like a couple months ago, and then I clipped it out. And then it got a bunch of views and everyone started talking about, wow, that's a great idea. Why didn't they keep doing that? And then there's the one video that apparently Formula One fans decided to invade. You wonder what, how they got win of that, especially is one of your more popular videos now. 
I get actually a lot of F1 people on my content, and I think it has to do with I do IndyCar content too, and F1 fans love to crap on NASCAR and love to crap on IndyCar. So I think it was just a situation that it probably ended up as a recommendation. I think they were watching an IndyCar video, and then because that repair video that I did was brand new, it was then suggested to them, and then someone went like, oh my god, look at what these hillbillies are doing, and then they posted it on the F1 forum, because of course, F1's procedures for repairing damage are considerably different than NASCAR's. It's just a different animal, but yet they poke fun of it for whatever reason. It's like, you guys have it pretty easy, honest. Well, in that case, not really, because they don't, because if they do that, they hurt themselves in the foot or they can't really do it. Whereas NASCAR, you could do that and be back and probably aerodynamically be okay. With Formula One, like a little doodad falls off the car and now it's undrivable. NASCAR, you just cut the whole fender off and you can win the race. <laughs> Eric Jones, Daytona, Bush Clash. <laughs> I still can't put proper words into that race when I saw that thing unfold on pit in the front stretch. I was thinking, we're in a time period where a wrecked race car won at Daytona that looked like that. Sure, you had some damage, but nothing like that. It's like, Yeah, the hood was going to come off. If that race went any longer, I don't see how that hood stays on. I was so numb and distracted to the fact that it's just the chaos that I suddenly forgot the Hamlet was a lap down. I was thinking, oh boy, we're going to have a photo finish between the games cards and this. Oh, Hamlet was still a lap down. He's just helped. Jones win the race and pulled away from the rest of the field. So, but still, it's just w weird thing. But yeah, it's just the cars are different. But I guess everybody's entitled to how they feel about certain sports, the elitist and the non-elitist. Like, hey, it brings people in there. But fortunately, for that recommendation, it's much better than those random ones that I get on YouTube. Like, it's like a ten-year-old video where it's like there was a one sketch where everything. A certain number fell with 28 every single time back in the fit. It's like, you recommended me a math video that somehow weirdly worked. <laughs> it's like, or I would get anime clips and furries and all that. It's like, <laughs> I don't watch that garbage. No offense. I don't watch <laughs> it. I don't yeah, I never it. can guess what will get recommended. Because literally, you just watch one video and that goes into your research data or your history data, and now you're screwed because now everything's gonna get recommended to you. See, we could talk about stuff that isn't all about racing. We talked about being an introvert. We talked about the stupid food charts, and also videos to find the motivation because sometimes we need motivation. It's just the landscape in the media is a lot different. And boy, yes, I still stand by it. Fortunately, I haven't had one since we discussed this. Because I make sure I don't have it anywhere. I put not interested in stop and YouTube telling them to stop showing me those ads. Because I don't care about that garbage like the animes or the crummy bootlegging I don't care about. Just give me racing stuff that I don't mind. I'll be I'll skip it and then we'll call it a day. Now, let's talk about the final topic with Nixon. We discussed about music, television, and gaming, and finally, where in the world Nixon came from to be called as such Frisky Nixon on YouTube. And you will not believe the story of where it came from, and it's very intriguing. I found it a surprise as well. So, enough of me talking. Let's go back to the interview to wrap this episode. The worst thing is when you're watching a video, the screen hogs up because it's a vertical, and it's like, dude, Pathetic. No, no. If I see a vertical ad that takes over the whole vertical screen of my phone, I exit out the video, watch something else, or an unskippable ad. I'm that kind of person that's like, don't block me. I'm watching something else. It's like, because don't interrupt my viewing pleasure. I, that's the funny thing, but this is how broken YouTube is. Remember back in the day, the video would fade out to mm -hmm. remind you there's an ad? Yep. Now they just was like, what's, what's wrong Hard with cut. it? Like, what was wrong with that concept? It's much easier. It's like, oh, ad. Okay. Not be like, let's see. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the top 10 worst. Imagine Dragon Saw. Blah, 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 blah. When they used to the fade, it would be like, here is the top 10. Imagine Dragon. 
ad. They can't make up their mind, and that irritates. Stuff like that it always irritates me. Now that I mention Imagine Dragons, describe Imagine Dragons. How do you feel about that group? I ha I don't think I've ever actually listened to a full song by them, to be honest. Okay, then you're not missing much, so you're good on that. <laughs> Popular music, I pretty much avoid. I could not tell you what is the number one song on the Billboard, and I'm happy about that. I, we've discussed about this someday, and, you rec and I even mentioned that I should just ditch the NASCAR content and just do music content. Let's see where that leads, leads into. Because, and I know for a fact they're not going to like my takes on certain songs. But hey, we need somebody that buries the modern day music somebody's gotta bury it yeah well you're not gonna get a lot of people that are gonna be happy about that but yes there needs to be someone that buries it because you know it's well what's interesting is nowadays music is a little more i guess user based as we're now using streaming numbers more than just what was played on the radio this week so we're getting definitely a better gauge of what people like in terms of music but it still seems to be the same crap that's been going on for decades now. Whether it's uncreative, unoriginal copy and paste, hook line sinkers, and pot pans, and the same beat, it, modern day music is corrupt as well. Fortunately, there's some gems then and there. As a matter of fact, as I mentioned it in my program already, once I'm done compiling and rate every single Billboard Hot 100 number one song from 58 to the present time, after 1989, I guarantee I'll have less than 10 five stars from 90 to present day. Probably so, honestly. Everything gets trendy, and there's a trendy sound that everyone adopts and then tries to mimic, and then you have artists that kind of were unique, like I, I take Rihanna, for example. She had a unique sound. The more that her career progressed, the more she started to sound like just everyone else. And it's like, that's what always happens. you got to shoot for what's going to get you on the charts. Yeah, and I'm far from a Rihanna guy, I'm on this opinion. In fact, one song in particular is the worst of all time. I'll share it some other time. And I think if I do that, I guarantee, and I'm ready for the backlash that I'm going to get because, boy, I tell you what, I honestly don't care. I even wrote an article about it, and one from college told me, called me out about it. It's like, hey, more power to you. I think it's trash, the music. Time will tell when that project will come out, hopefully sooner than later. It's just, when I rate a song year by year, it takes about a good two hours to get through it all. And it's going to be held by 80, when I go through 88 and 89, where there were like 33 number one songs per year out of 52. But the difference was, they probably are better than the ones that are coming out right now. Yeah, there's been studies that have been conducted where they've determined that the average vocabulary level just gets dumber and dumber and dumber uh, with every hit song that comes out. I think it's what, I want to say it's the fifth grade, maybe even third grade level is what the average lyric sheet is for a modern song. And then now the average length of a song is two minutes and 30 seconds, which I guess is supposed to trick the streaming services because you can only skip to a certain point, and then by the time that you've reached the point that you can skip it, it now counts as a listen on the streaming services. Goes back to the ringtone pop era, and it's continued with the mumble rap. The vocabulary is getting ridiculous, and it's unfortunate. While these songs are hitting, but it caters to a rut demographic. But as you hear on the clubs, they're undanceable in my book. I used to take dance courses. I was the king of the dances. But when I was in Long Beach last year, I couldn't. I say I am out of touch with today's group of people i am retiring for good from dancing i'm done <laughs> you don't need me i'm old good night went back to sleep and got ready for the grand prix weekend after that we went from the beatles to bob dylan to Jimi hendrix to soldier boy lil wayne kanye west rihanna drake ariana boy how is 
everything has gone backwards, if you ask me. Since we've talked about mainstream, let's talk about the independent run. How do you feel about the independent run and generally the genre you listen to the most? Most of the stuff that I listen to, I guess, could be labeled as like mid-2000s hot topic bands. Is probably what most of my music taste consists of. And lately, I've been using Bandcamp a lot for finding a lot of the rock music that I listen to. Because Bandcamp, I guess, gives something like 90% of the money to the artist or the record label that's on there. So I've been doing a lot more streaming and purchasing off of that website. And I utilize Reddit quite a bit to find music because there are a lot of independent artists that are out there that are uploading to like YouTube or SoundCloud, but they're not getting a lot of views or listens but Reddit will suggest it, and then I'll stumble across it and and uh, go out and purchase the song or whatever. Because back in the day, I bought CDs like crazy. Like, I was buying a new CD just about every week till I went into college, and then I just basically quit buying music. I started to bootleg everything because all the torrent sites and stuff hadn't been policed at that point. Uh, and nowadays, I only will fork over money if I really like the song. Thankfully, I don't find a lot of stuff that I like, so I'm not spending a small fortune. Yeah, I just stick to maybe one or two artists. It depends if they release new material. This day and age, through Spotify, I would find an, an obscure artist from one of my closest friends. Here's the, here's the thing. The funny thing is, I don't usually see guys listening to music all that much. So I end up seeing the women. Mm -hmm. I look at a track title, and it's like, oh, fake nice. Wonder what that is. Five months later, I pretty much know the whole discography of that group with the song Fake Nice. By the ace, it's just like... Jesus Christ, man, what, 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 what's going on with my life where I go through the independent pop scene, the independent rock scene, and yet I still list, my music is hot potato. Whether it's metal from back in the day, your Metallicas, your Motley Crue's, your Iron Maidens, or The Doors. Well, it's not, The Doors are not metal, but rock bands. Then I would go through a rap phase, then a girl band phase. It changes all the time. But consistently, The Doors has been one of my favorite groups to this day. Santana's another. As far as recent times is concerned, you have the XX, albeit the most recent album, which feels like ages ago now, back, what was it, 2017? They went with a more different route, which they still have good songs, but the first two are impeccable. Especially during my college years, that's what I got into. But now, after college, I went through. I'm going through a lot of phases, trying to test out different music because I want to expand the boundaries. And honestly, if you expand the if people expand the boundaries quite a bit, you'll learn more about what's good and what's bad. I have done very little expanding, to be honest. I have a lot more female vocalists uh, in my playlists and what I'm listening to than I used to. But aside from that, I kind of just listen to pretty much the same stuff that I did in high school and in college. I listen to Blink-182, The Used, uh, The Starting Line, New Found Glory, Silverstein, Census Fail. So a lot of the stuff that was popular at the time in like the rock genre. And I don't know, I try to like get into new stuff and production is just so different on music now. And it's less raw, and it's really, you know, polished, and there's a lot of auto-tune and stuff like that. So that kind of turns me off, and that's why I go more toward kind of like, now if I find a song, it's like some pop-punk band that no one's ever heard of. So, yeah. Music is an interesting subject matter, to say the least, that's for sure. Now, we're getting near to the end of this program, I feel like... The it should be interesting to ask this. Where do you honestly see the landscape of society going forward? Of course, we're in the middle of a maddening time period. I think we're all screwed. Uh, <laughs> we are all hosed. There, I, I posted something on Facebook. I reposted something. It was, people care more about looking like good people than being good people. And I feel like that's where we're at right now. There are a lot of worthy causes that are going on, worthy social justice stuff that's going on, but just like every single time, people take it too far. 
we're getting rid of Gone with the Wind off of streaming services because it's racist. We're shutting down this company because their CEO gave money to someone. We're getting too crazy with the canceling of things. Starbucks is under fire because they won't let their employees wear Black Lives Matter clothing. So it is just getting to the point where we're not going to have anything left. If everything keeps getting canceled, people keep getting in trouble, we're not going to have anything because the people that want everything canceled make up such a tiny percentage of the population, but they're going to ruin it for everyone else. And then what people seem to keep forgetting is whoever's in power usually gets to decide what happens. This CEO gets to decide if they're going with the cause of the day or not. But if you get someone else's CEO that is like, this stuff is stupid, then everything changes. So you need to pay attention to what's going on right now with what's being canceled and think ahead to the stuff that could be canceled that you like because you have now lost power. Honestly, I could have said it better myself, that's for sure. All right. People, I'd imagine people wondering, what led to the inspiration of Richard Nixon? It's just kind of like the legacy that he has in our country that kind of bestowed the, your YouTube outlet. Yeah, he is he is definitely a despicable individual uh, if you actually do research on him. But in high school, we started playing Halo quite a bit, the original Halo on PC. And I was like, wouldn't it be funny if the red and blue teams were like, Democrats and Republicans, and we did matches like that where we all had, like, a politician. So I'm like, who's an interesting person in politics? And at that point, I had all sorts of books on presidents and stuff. So I'm like, wouldn't it be funny if I was Richard Nixon? And then that kind of sparked my interest in Nixon. And in college, of course, I started watching Futurama, which famously has the head of Nixon. And then I just started consuming Nixon content. I've been watching documentaries, I've been watching movies, learning more about the guy, and I don't know, I kind of just decided that would be my persona, and I just keep leaning into the persona as I go along because I don't want the channel to be all about me and my opinions and what I'm doing. I would much rather hide behind some, you know, dead president at this point. The backstory of my YouTube channel name is just decided to add The Rock in auto racing. And yeah, well, I haven't posted anything music related, which is kind of funny. But that was just me. Oh, what was I? 14 years old at the time when I come up with that silly name. Kind of stuck with me. Like Twitter is the LT files. That was how I created it back in 09. But I didn't start using Twitter until the Summer Olympics of 2012. I just have weird backstories. I wonder why do I call these things? But that's how I roll with it. Speaking of TV shows, if there was one TV show that is very underrated, what would it be and why? Because I know you mentioned as well that mainstream shows is also like music. You don't follow it as much. Started to watch a lot of stuff now because of streaming services and kind of getting caught up on stuff. And I don't know. Let's see. In terms of underrated, because I, oh, I got one. Monk. I think Monk is actually crazy underrated. There is a lot of really good humor in that show, and for anyone that doesn't know what Monk is, it's a detective that has OCD, and it really is a good crime drama and has a lot of really funny stuff. And yes, I know Tony Shalhoub won awards for his performance, but it definitely seems like one of those shows that doesn't get talked about all that much. We talked about YouTube's problems, we talked about the problem music, what is wrong with the world of gaming where it feels like microtransactions is the future, they're half-assing everything just to update it and keep the online system, like, look at Grand Theft Auto V, it's going to its third generation console. No GTA 6, no Bully 2, I'm not surprised to be brutally honest with you because everybody's putting money on the GTA Online stuff, but those who want the new story, new changes, new, I don't know, add something valuable for the offline side. It seems like microtransaction is killing the industry, whereas Rockstar, EA, and 2K. They're treating it kind of like the Apple model, where, well, our name's on it, so therefore you're obviously going to buy it, and it's 
yeah, it's very much a situation they think that their brand is strong enough that people will buy this little piece of the game, and then they'll buy another little piece of the game, then they'll buy the DLC, then they'll buy, like, the Anniversary Edition. They think that people are just going to keep buying stuff, and in actuality, nobody wants to do that. They just want to buy it one time, play it, and be done. Some people are going to buy GTA Five for a third time just to have to triple. I'm thinking to myself, it's nice and all, but give us an expanded storyline or something. And with microtransactions, it seems like they don't want to, the companies don't want to put in the effort. Some do, but not many, especially the big ones, because they know that their main focus is trying to make the online experience money-driven. It's all about yeah. the cash these days, which is definite bummer, because back in the day, you only had one shot. If you've messed it up, you gotta wait till next year to fix it. Well, and I also look at it as turnover is considerably better, especially if you do stuff episodically. So it ends up being a situation, there's a, a shorter gap in between games, but then you have to wait for each piece of the game to then be released, but it allows you to have a shorter gap of time waiting for the game. And I think for a lot of developers, they would rather do that to get the game out in pieces so people can get their hands on it quicker. But of course, it then causes all sorts of problems as then there's continuity issues or parts get delayed and people don't get the full game and then it, it, there's all sorts of issues. But yeah, it's money and then trying to get stuff out faster and faster and faster. And that's just a problem. It seems like everything out there, there's a problem one way or the other. Back in the day, it was much more simpler. I wish we could go back to that, Rob, but I feel like we're at a point that it's not possible. It's not feasible because one will lose money, they will lose credibility, and another one is, do they want to put the effort to write a quality record instead of just jingles and bells and blow whistles? No, as long as you're famous. That's all that matters. Going back to being famous and rich. Yep, what a complacent world we live in these days, unfortunately. At the end of the day, when all things considered, when we look back at all this stuff in a few years right now, I'd imagine we'll look at it as like, well, things were much more simpler, don't you think? I don't know if it's simpler. There was definitely simpler times before this. Uh, with technology, we have, I think, complicated stuff way too much, and we're taking way too much stock in what's going on with social media. But, like, if we go to the history books for 2020, it's definitely going to be a thick, thick book. Oh, definitely. Anyways, just final thoughts of this episode. Of course, we went through a lot of stuff. As we all know, things could get better. Yeah, uh, at the end of the day, we just have to make do with what we have, keep striving towards the goals that we have. Ultimately, you're just going to have to go with the flow. Like I mentioned earlier in the podcast... Things are changing so much on just the cultural landscape, the social landscape, even on just the internet day-to-day. -day, you never know what's going to be allowed, not allowed. So just, you know, keep going with those punches, keep flowing, keep trying to figure out what to do in the future, and try to enjoy the experience while you're going along. Don't get bogged down by the past. Just try to stay in the present and try to keep flowing to the future. Yeah, all of us could certainly work on that. Alright, with that being said, if you were to describe this program that we... What would you describe it? Uh, let's see. Self-aggrandizing. I'm gonna have to definitely look at that on the dictionary when it's all said and done, but <laughs> on that note, it's time to shut the lens. Self-aggrandizing. Yes, that is the word that Nixon said at the very beginning of the episode when we finally wrapped up this interview. I said, if there's one word to describe it, what would it be? And he said self-aggrandizing, and it took him a bit to say it. I mentioned that I was going to look it up in the dictionary, so here we go. I'm going to say it at the very end of the episode of part two. It's promoting oneself as being powerful or important. I don't think any guests in the foreseeable future will come up with something that clever because I think that's a very unique word. It gets me to think. It gets me to learn new things. And I'm glad he said it. It's, it's very, it's very, very Nixon of him to do so. But yeah, Halo, that's where the Nixon came from. I've been wanting to have him. As a matter of fact, we did an episode 
that was meant to be on his channel a couple years ago, but it never worked out. And so I consider this the second partner, a follow-up of what we had last time back in 2018. Well, obviously the episode will never see the light of day on his channel, but fortunately I'm able to have him discuss about it on my platform. It's amazing to have certain guests like him out there, that's for sure. Here are the social media plugs. Of course, Facebook, Behind the Exploratory Lenses. You can find me on Twitter, at the LT Files right now. I'm only going to be tweeting about my articles from Motorsports Tribune, post-race quotes, and any photos that I take, which are very rare because of COVID and what have you. So hopefully, and hopefully by Road America, I still hope by Road America, I'll finally have new photo contents to share on there. Instagram, Luis D. Torres 94, L U I S D S and David, T O R R E S 94. You can find this show on these following platforms on SoundCloud, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google, and Apple, and of course, LuisDTorres.com. In the meantime, until we meet again, we'll catch you guys later. And once again, please stay safe, be mindful, and also learn from one another because at the very end of the day, if we learn from this, I feel like we could be in the right direction that we really need to be to make the second half of 2020 much better than the first. If Billy Joel does not do a record about 2020, I'm going to be disappointed because you could do We Didn't Start the Fire 2020. Because you had so much content to write about. China didn't start the corona. <laughs> See, it writes itself. Somebody's going to do it. I'd imagine someone will parody it. But if I don't see anything of that by the end of the year, I'm going to be disappointed. Not going to lie. Because, Or if somebody does it, then they're going to be a lot of upset. People It's like, you shouldn't make fun of that. People died in it. Well, yeah, South it, Park it, are going to do it in a couple months. Just watch. It, it might be part of the YouTube recap. <laughs> oh, geez, I, have, I have not watched any one of those in my whole entire life. Don't intend to.